0: Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for a bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. With me today is my regular co-host, Cleveland area attorney and Republican factotum, Jay Carson.
1: Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jay. How are you today? I'm I'm well. I should come up with something clever to say every time you ask me that. Oh, that would it, be it, yeah, that'd be a burden. You know. I don't know. Yeah, I'll start. I'll start trying to do that. But uh, I would say. Um, All things considered, yeah. Okay.
0: Great. Ready to go. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, (laughs) um, you know, I thought we would start this week with, well, what was a pretty rough week, specifically a very rough Tuesday uh, on the legal front for President Trump. I mean, first, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort's found guilty on eight counts of tax and bank fraud, and he faces what could potentially be the rest of his life in prison. And of course, after the verdict, President Trump told reporters, let's see here, Paul Manafort's a good man, and while the verdict doesn't involve me, I feel it's a very (laughs) sad thing that happened. And of course, you know, the president's right about this, that it doesn't directly involve him, though, of course, if Manafort is aware of any possible criminal activity on the part of Trump, uh, those multiple guilty verdicts might make him more likely to cooperate with the special counsel, that is, course, provided that President Trump doesn't pardon Manafort and that's kind of to be determined yet. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there was part two of the bad news for President Trump, which was that plea deal reached between federal prosecutors and former Trump personal attorney slash fixer, uh, I'll take a bullet for the man, Michael Cohen. (laughs) And Cohen pled guilty to eight criminal charges, including two criminal campaign finance violations. And he admitted, of course, to making that payment of one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to adult film actress uh, Stormy Daniels. Former
1: Uh, adult film actress. Yes.
0: Well, oh, yeah, former. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Current stripper, but former. Yeah. Uh, And then he also coordinated that hundred and fifty thousand dollar payment by the publisher of the National Enquirer. Was it American Media to former Playboy Playmate Karen McDougal? And in both of these cases, of course, this was hush money to cover up uh, affairs that these women alleged that they had with Trump. And Cohen further admitted that these payments were made for the purpose of influencing the election and at the direction of the candidate. Now. Cohen's admission, of course, flatly contradicts the initial denials of the president and uh, a lot of his supporters and spokespeople, uh, which over time sort of morphed into different denials as facts emerged that made it more and more difficult to maintain the original denials. Right. And I think a lot of people seem to believe that were Donald Trump not the president, he would be in line to be indicted himself but because there's this longstanding Justice Department policy not to indict sitting presidents, really the only way in which President Trump can be held accountable while in office would be through uh, the, the impeachment process. So I, I think that more or less summarizes everything that went on, at least the main parts of it. Uh, Jay, was was there anything I missed? And you know, more well, importantly, I, I, would your just, I
1: would just point out there was, no matter what people think of Trump, he had one tweet on um, Tuesday that, that was something to the effect of, and I, I should have pulled it up uh, so I'd have it verbatim because it'd be even more fun then. But it's sort of like, if you're looking for uh, uh, good legal services, do not hire uh, Michael Cohen. Um, and he's not wrong. Um, you know, it's hard to argue with, with him on that. Uh, that point, not hire,
0: but- hire Michael Cohen, my personal attorney for many, many years, you know, right. which, which says something about his judgment. But anyway,
1: well, yeah. I, and again, I, uh, so I think that's a, a uh, that's a, a good, good accurate summary that you've put out there. So,
0: yeah. Okay. Well, what do you, what do you make of all this? The implications, the, the, the verdicts uh, really start wherever you want. There's so much. Start to right, right. Well,
1: for, I wouldn't say first Manafort, I, I don't see a whole lot there in terms of, of additional risk to Trump. As he said, these are things that Manafort did years before. They aren't related to Trump. Uh, they aren't related to Russia. I mean, I, I guess they're tangentially related to the Ukraine business dealings, which is related to Russia. Um, uh, if, if there were a deal to be made, my sense is that that would have that happened already. Uh, and I just don't get, I don't get the sense that there's anything else there in the, um, the, the Manafort case, uh, the Cohen, um, but before we
0: get to Cohen, can I ask you, let me ask you a question about the Manafort thing. It's more of a yeah. legal question, but I'm one, one theory, well, at least one sense of things that I, that I had was that maybe Manafort didn't make a deal because he was simply waiting to see what would happen, the outcome of the trial. And there was always this sure, outside chance yeah. that he could be found not guilty. And, and then even if he were found guilty, maybe he's waiting to say, well, okay, I'm going to wait till after the midterms and then maybe Donald Trump will pardon me. He says, I'm a good man. He's been known to pardon people for, you know, I would argue political reasons. And then if I don't get the pardon, then if there's anything I know, maybe I'll talk. I mean, is that a, is, is that a reasonable line of, of speculation on my part or what do you think as well, an attorney?
1: It's, it's It's possible, but keep in mind that Manafort's been sitting in jail for quite a while. Um, you know, sitting in solitary confinement as it were. Um so I I mean I don't I don't think I mean it, to me that just seems to be a a a poor strategy. I understand the uh, let's let's roll the dice and who knows maybe um maybe the uh, the jury just sort of essentially nullifies and says, "Look, I you know, we're just not going to do this because we think it's a political prosecution." Um uh, or uh, you know, I hold on and I get a pardon. Um, those those two theories both kind of seem plausible, um, but uh, my my guess is that really the, the he would have made a deal if if he had something to to give beforehand. And I I, I could be wrong. I, I don't know the guy, but because because it, um, well, it
0: seems to me there are there are four possible outcomes and ranking them in order of desirability. Number one would be that Manafort is found not guilty. Number two is that he is pardoned. Number three is, well, let's see, number three is that he is found guilty but makes a deal basically.
1: And so right. it, the, it maybe gets, gets some, uh, get some, uh, good mention at, at sentencing.
0: Right. Right. And I guess in number four is, well, he's found guilty, but he doesn't have anything to deal with. And so he ends up going to jail for multiple years, essentially. Yeah. And so I guess that's really the question is there. I think for a lot of people, there's this assumption that Manafort must know something and, and maybe, or maybe not, but it would seem like certainly by say December, I would say, We'll know for sure if he knows something, because if he does, one would think that he would
1: certainly either. He would have have come to us and said, yeah, look at this plan. A plan. A isn't working. Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. (laughs) And B hasn't worked. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I, again, I don't, I don't see um, a lot of uh, Trump downside in in the Manafort um, case Uh, that, that said, I mean, Trump goes out and says these goofy things about he's a really good guy um which uh, sure doesn't seem like one <laughs> sort of are sort of mind-boggling um yeah well i mean it, it's one of these uh, i think trump sort of his, his sense is he's he's a good man yeah he cheats on his taxes He's a scoundrel yeah he's kind of you know but uh um but he hasn't flipped on me so he's a good guy right, right, him, right. You he just can't stand up g um yeah uh so yeah cohen um does present the bigger problem mm-hmm. um for, for two reasons, and there's two things going on. Um, first of all, Cohen uh, was convicted you know largely. there were two counts that that relate to campaign finance. most of it had to deal with these other just shady dealings that he was involved in with these uh, New York taxi licenses um, and and uh, various forms of of, of of fraud and and so forth there um, so I mean, they had the goods on him and and then they got him to uh, uh, to plead to these other uh, pieces which. Again, you and I can have this discussion and and someone uh, people are going to have this discussion about, um, you know, are is is this uh, a payment um, to a a hush money to a a mistress or former porn star um, reportable on your campaign finance reports? And I think that's a little bit of an open question. It's it comes down to is it. A you know campaign expense or is it a personal expense? Right. Uh, and I think the other thing is you kind of run into this kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. If if uh, uh, Trump had, you know, in, in the unlikely event, well, you know, reported um, the payments, perhaps done done through a law firm, uh, due through a law firm charged as legal services, which is how the DNC paid for the, the dossier. Um, people would say, well, no, this is, that's obviously a personal expense, paying off your mistress. Uh, you can't do that. Uh, on the other side, he's, he's right. also damned if he, if he says, okay, um, Cohen, uh, pay her off and I'll pay you back. Uh, so it's essentially him personally making these payments. Um, well, that, that's, a, yeah. that's a, is that a campaign in-kind contribution reimbursed by the candidate? So it's essentially then an unreported, uh, you know, self-donation. Um, yeah. Which which it, is the big scheme of things isn't a huge deal, but
0: well, it certainly is at least arguable where this yes. falls because my understanding of the law is that if this is done with the express intent to influence the outcome of an election. Then that does, in fact, qualify as a campaign finance contribution. But yep. in it, this kind of falls under both things. And I've you heard can other- have a, you
1: can have, if you have a mixed motive. Exactly, uh, that's one of those that, that's questionable. And obviously, there would be lots of things of, hey, I don't want this to come out in the campaign, but also I really don't want Melania to hear about this. Yeah. Um. So no. yeah, you can you can have good reasons for both.
0: Yeah, and 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 certainly, you know, the the existence of those tapes makes that kind of plausible deniability case on the part of Trump seem a lot more difficult to accept. But you know, I, one thing I wanted to point out here, and I'm, I bet you I'm going to get some, some pushback maybe from, from my friends on the left here is because I'm not sort of, you know, saying, well, obviously the man's guilty. I think, him up. well, yeah, yeah example, well, I think here that we need to think in, in two terms here, you know, there's the, the legal standard of guilt and then there's political and yes. The legal case, under the legal standard, I think you know, we have to give Donald Trump the same presumption of innocence that we give anyone. We need, you know, need to be proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, because these are potential criminal charges, not civil charges here. But, but this, isn't, this is a legal thing, but it's also a political thing, because as I pointed out in the, in the sort of summary... That really the only way to hold the sitting president accountable, given the Justice Department's uh, longstanding practice, here, which they're not going to change, is through a political remedy. And certainly right. from a political standpoint, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt or anything like that it's whatever Congress decides is grounds for impeachment and removal. And that's a right. that's a whole sure. different thing you're You're on fire this morning, well, you know,
1: every once in a while I, I had just, enough coffee, really, yeah, so really, there yeah, really no I think that's I, I would agree with you hundred percent on that um I, I would I would add to that I think i mean the the idea that you can't indict a sitting president uh is, yes, it's sort of justice department policy, but I think there's also a, a sort of a firm grounding in the Constitution uh that your only remedy against a, a president who acts unlawfully is impeachment.
0: Yeah. And, and, um, and I now think again,
1: I, that's, I don't know that it's ever, that's never actually been tested by the courts because it's never gotten that far, but right. uh, you know, that the justice department policy flows from that. Uh, I think understanding that, that your remedy against a, a sitting president is impeachment and, and that's it. That's your exclusive remedy. Yeah.
0: And, and so, you know, I also wanted to, to point out that it's interesting, the conversation that's come up, uh, after this. I mean on the one hand, you have Democrats doing their best to avoid using the word impeachment. And then you have Republicans saying this, these upcoming midterm elections, this is going to be about impeachment, which on on one hand you say, well, whoa, that seems like very Counterintuitive, but not really, obviously, because of course, the idea that Donald Trump might be uh, impeached by the House if Democrats take over, that's exactly the sort of thing that Republicans are hoping will energize their base, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is something that I, I think when you get into then this next, and there were some good articles on this. Uh, one um, by, uh, oh gosh, oh, no, um, Ben Bauer, who is a former um, Obama um, uh, uh, White House counsel, uh, wrote this was a couple months ago uh, in The Atlantic uh, about sort of the campaign finance thing and how much teeth does this thing have. Um, And he sort of came to the same, rightfully, came to the same conclusions that both, at least that I did, and it looks like kind of you did. Um, Look, maybe there's something criminal there, uh, but you can't really indict uh, the president. and then, then you look to the political thing. How much um, uh, does this give enough for uh, Democrats, assuming they take the House, to build an impeachment case? And, I, and again, I don't mean that in the legal sense, but in the in the political sense, um, is is it uh, going to be enough to to make the UOTA to overturn an election because well, it's a campaign finance violation and now eh, he paid off a mistress and that's I think to me that's uh, that's not necessarily a slam dunk or an easy sell.
0: No, I, I think, and I've, I've said this for, for months now, I think that the, the odds are in favor of Democrats taking the House, and assuming they do, I would be very surprised. They'll them for something. Yeah, I, I would very, be very surprised <laughs> if they didn't, if that would happen, you know, and so I expect that they'll have the votes for in, impeachment, uh, just barely, and i I would be also even more stunned if in the Senate there were votes for for actual removal. But that's how I expect things to to play out, and 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 we'll see certainly. And you know, not but before we move on to another story, I wanted to point out. This is kind of a larger point that you know, this to me is exactly what you would expect to get when you surround yourself with grifters and and crooks, basically, which is what I think Donald Trump has done. And But, and that's not necessarily just because I think Donald Trump is a grifter and a crook, though I do. uh, But I think, you know, we, we go back to that idea of the invisible primary. And of course, Jay, you know, that's that period before the real presidential primaries start where everyone's trying to lock in uh, financial support. and, And even more important, you might argue is the sort of top level staffers and people to run your organization. And the best people during the invisible primary for the 2016 presidential contest, Donald Trump did not get the best people. The best people chose to work for someone else. <laughs>
1: he always, well, he always hires the very best yeah, people. Exactly,
0: yeah, exactly. The very <laughs> best people he can. It, it made sense at the time, of course, because the best people thought that Donald Trump didn't stand a chance regardless of what they thought about him as a person. So he was left with essentially the dregs uh, and that's what he got. So he surrounded himself with these people for multiple reasons. And it's not surprising that they're being indicted like, you know, like wildfire because these are not good people.
1: Right. No, I think I think if there's any one theme that that, uh, I think everyone can agree on um, is that Trump has terrible judgment uh, in who he surrounds himself with. Yeah. Um,
0: Which is kind of an important thing to have good judgment yeah. if you're president of the United States, you know. It's yeah. A-
1: well, and and, and I'll say, I mean, having worked in politics, there are always there is a whole sort of class of, of people. Um, and uh, there was a piece that Karl Rove wrote in the um, Wall Street Journal last last week that described them as sort of there's there's grifters and uh, um, uh, boot hangers. Um, uh, bootst- that, that you have these these when when someone is running for office. You get folks who want to, you know, cash in on some relationship right. or, or just sort of ride your train uh, to their success. Um, and and there's they're just a whole lot of shady people and it happens in every campaign. And uh, most of the time you would think the candidates would be wise enough uh, just to, to steer clear of them or, or uh, you put them somewhere where they can do um, little or no harm. Um, uh, but that's not the case with him, and I don't know. Maybe it's just because is is he so um, uh, subject to flattery? I mean, does that yeah. impress him so so much that that he's willing to overlook things, or just just so naive that he doesn't doesn't see how these other folks are operating? Yeah. Um, but but between, um, oh my gosh, uh, uh, Cohen and Flynn and Manafort and. Uh, um, uh, Carter Page, uh, Papadopoulos, amorosa I mean, all these folks who are, um, mm-hmm. you know, you know, at best sort of the the C, C team. Um, um,
0: yeah, absolutely. Not 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 very impressive. So, you know, there was a related development this week as well uh, to, to this. There, there are some Democrats in the Senate, uh, particularly Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, are suggesting that, well, given. The Michael Cohen plea deal, there should be a delay in Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court confirmation process. And, and the well, argument he, he
1: suggested more than that. Well, yeah, let
0: me kind of l- 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 <laughs> lay it out here. I, I, know, I think I know how you feel about this. In fact, I'm pretty sure. But the argument is basically that if confirmed, any new justice, and not just Kavanaugh, could be forced to decide on questions that directly relate to President Trump's possible criminal violations of campaign finance law. And, and Schumer, the way he put it is, it is unseemly for the president of the United States to be picking a Supreme Court justice who could soon be effectively a juror in a case involving the president himself. The prospect of the president being implicated in some criminal case is no longer a hypothetical that can be dismissed. Uh, so th- before we get to the other reason, Senate Democrats are calling for delay. What do you think
1: about that, Jay? That's that's more than ridiculous. Okay, uh, I why, mean, why certain, so? Well, it's it's the idea that listen, if someone, uh, if a president is, is uh, accused of a crime, uh, all of a sudden the his constitutional powers go away. Um, uh, Schumer suggested that that any you know appointment would be illegitimate. Uh, some Democrats have even said, "Well, Gorsuch now is is illegitimate." um and and they want they want that one back um, that's that's clearly not what the Constitution says. It doesn't say the President shall have the power to appoint um, you know as long as he's not under some kind of suspicion. Um, so I, I think that's that's sort of just manifestly silly. Um, and also, I mean he's wrong on the facts there There is no real uh, scenario under which a uh, an associate judge would uh, uh, the Supreme Court would sit as a juror on any sort of um, a presidential you know case right. uh, if if there were an impeachment the chief justice uh, uh serves sort of as the judge uh in the senate um uh, but again he's he's not a juror the senate is are the jurors and it's just the chief justice um you know are are there are there questions of could um you know, some sort of uh, issue of privilege or something like that, maybe go before the Supreme Court. I would say doubtful at this point, because uh, uh, he already w- essentially waived executive privilege, um, which is something we, we didn't mention. It was one of those, like, I thought it would have been a, a really important topic earlier in the week, and then all all this other stuff happened. right? Uh, but by having the White House counsel uh, testify and talk to uh, Mueller's investigation at length, uh, and turnover documents, uh, the president waived any claim of executive privilege. So that's wouldn't really be going up to the, the Supreme Court uh, in any way, shape or form, at least as foreseeable now. Um, you know, so I, 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 think, I the think the only thing that, that could be an
0: issue, right, would be if, uh, if uh, Robert Mueller pressed the case and wanted to get the president to testify and subpoenaed him. And it's suggested that Kavanaugh has a, a view that seems to be very leaning very strongly, in fact, against that sort of thing. So that might be one instance in which that could play sure. out. Yeah,
1: sure. I mean, but also, I mean, there's there's a a a big body of case law that says says that, too, that you don't just get to um, question the president because you want to talk to the president. Um, you'd have to make a showing uh, before, you know, first of all, the district court uh, that you really need that testimony. Um, and and again, having had your your White House counsel. Spend this much time, give this many documents. I think that's that would be a heavy lift to convince a district court. Yeah, we need to uh, have the the president sit down for this. Now, if you recall, the difference being uh, in Bill Clinton's case, um, there there wasn't an issue of of uh, him being called to testify by, um, and he and he did assert executive privilege. Uh, it turns out he didn't. You know what he did was he was going to be subpoenaed. Then he testified voluntarily. Um, uh, I, I just. Uh, Again, it's to me, it's it's pretty far fetched that something like that would well would I, play out that way, sure. or or that or that. Again, and even and even if it did, uh, that doesn't remove the president's constitutional power to appoint uh, justices.
0: Sure, I I agree with you that that argument is, to put it charitably, uh, a stretch. Now, there's another argument as well, and that's a number of Senate Democrats arguing that basically, the confirmation process is being rammed through without anything really close to sufficient time set aside for an examination of the paper trail. And in in Kavanaugh's case, the paper trail, depending on how you find a relevant paper trail is much larger, could run into millions of pages, you know which is due in mainly to his time as White House staff secretary to President George W. Bush. Of course, in addition right. to that he was an associate counsel to Ken Starr during the Clinton investigation and he's been on he's been a judge on the DC Circuit Court for 12 and, and, years. But
1: the- and I would say I would say there's there's some question into the propriety or the ability of the Senate to get to some of that information.
0: Yeah, and that that's the real, and I think there's a legitimate, you know, a legitimate question about that. What is, what is relevant documentation? And is, you know, it seems like conservatives, Republicans are saying that, well, uh, as White House staff secretary, he was just basically sort of moving along paper here and there. And just because it went through his hands doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, this represents his views. And so therefore it's not, relevant, whereas Democrats are saying, well, if he commented or had any role in any of this stuff, it is, of course, relevant. And so, you know, I think that's at least...
1: And it's uh, also privileged.
0: Yeah, well, it's, well, it's uh, yeah, it's also at least a, a conversation that's important to have. And there's, there's at least some point in, in considering that. Now, my view, and this is going to differ from, I think, a lot of folks, certainly a lot of folks on the left, is I think what's mainly relevant is his, uh, his background as his 12 years. He's been as a D.C. Circuit Court judge, and that to me is the biggest thing. And so I, I kind of question the relevance of a lot of this staff secretary type stuff, though I understand why Democrats are doing it, because ideally you want to hold this nomination off until after the midterms and the chance that maybe you pick up one or more seats and then can actually derail the confirmation and, it's, and you, it's
1: it's why you it's why you foul somebody in basketball when there's like 10 seconds sure. left and you're down by six or i mean you know it's it's yes there's the off chance that he misses the free throws and you get it back and yeah. you have a shot so yeah which is which is the reason.
0: you know which is the same i would say largely illegitimate reason, well, in, in McConnell's case, entirely illegitimate reason why Merrick Garland didn't even get a hearing under President Obama because the, the Democrat, sorry, the Republicans were trying to run out the clock and they were successfully, you know, they were able to do it because they were in the majority. So, I mean, it's we're seeing the same thing uh, on the Democrat side, but because the Democrats aren't in the majority, they're not going to be successful at doing this, basically.
1: Right. And, and in and, each case... And in, fairness, in fairness to McConnell, he didn't, I guess there wasn't a, uh, he was pretty straightforward, and that we're not voting because we don't want to vote on him. I mean, it wasn't a well. He came uh, up. Was, with there this, wasn't a pretense of we need more information or something like that. It was.
0: He came up um, with this ridiculous sort of justification, and I would say, and again, I think this is wrong on both sides. And I've said it before, whether it's Obama or Trump or anyone, is that essentially that you look at the relevant documentation and the advice and consent rule basically means, in my interpretation, that the president gets his people as long as they're not, you know, manifestly unqualified for the position. And so I think this is, I think this kind of thing is wrong, no matter which party's doing it in the Senate.
1: And and just for the record, if case people weren't listening when we talked about this last year, two years ago. yeah, I was of the position that uh, the Senate should hold hearings on Garland. Yeah. So.
0: So and 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 clearly you you you, you might listen. say, oh, why are Democrats doing this? They know they're going to lose. Well, I think this is something that the base expects them to do. You put up this fight, even if you know you're not going to win it, because that's what that's what your strongest supporters want. So there you go. Yeah.
1: No, it it electrifies the base. No, I said electrifies, but. Um, uh the base. Them, certainly yeah. and and uh yeah there's always there's always a shot there's always a chance something weird happens absolutely
0: so, yeah so yeah all right well before we get to our next story we'd like to thank our newest supporter and that is steven who became our latest monthly sustaining supporter on patreon so all right Stephen. stay thank you very much steven we do appreciate it and of course when you become a supporter of the show, you don't just help us keep things going on a week to week basis, pay our bills and so forth. You also get access to our special supporters only. After show, uh, last week, Jay and I talked about uh, Omarosa's, uh, uh book and taping in the White House Situation Room and non-disclosure agreements, and, and also we got into those Detroit school kids who said their education was so bad that it violated their constitutional rights. Uh, U.S.
1: constitutional uh, their, rights. Exactly,
0: exactly. And, it, it,
1: may, it might violate their state constitutional rights. Yeah.
0: So, uh, right. But that was an interesting conversation, and this week we've got some good stuff lined up for you as well. So if you uh, want to help us out and get access to the, the supporter show, just go to politicsguys.com slash support. That's a direct link or politicsguys.com and you'll see the support the show and Patreon and PayPal links. And of course we do appreciate it very much. Thanks so much. Okay, moving on. Let's, let's talk about some non-Trump related political corruption. Um, this week, the Justice Department charged Republican House member Duncan Hunter with spending over a quarter of a million dollars in campaign funds on personal expenses, including European family vacations, video games, dental work, which I love this. It creatively reported as a charitable contribution to Smiles for Life, uh, as, oh. as well as a number of other uh, interesting expenses. Now, the Department of Justice says that the campaign's treasurer Made repeated inquiries to Hunter about these expenses, and was told that he was being silly. Uh, maybe not so silly anymore. Now, weirdly, despite the indictment, Hunter is still the favorite in his solidly Republican California district, and I think that's thanks in no small part to how the Democratic primary played out. Now, this has been an ongoing thing that people had the sense was going to maybe come up before the election, and. Democratic Party leaders were hoping that their choice uh, for the the person to run against him would win. And this guy was a politically moderate ex-Navy SEAL, and they thought he would be perfect to run in this very strongly pro-military district. But instead, uh, voters chose uh, a 28-year-old Amar Khambra Najjar, I'm probably Slaughtering his name, my apologies, but anyway, he's a former Obama administration Labor Department staffer, and he ran. He ran on a number of proposals that the liberal base very much liked, but that aren't very free stuff for everybody. Medicare for all, that kind of thing. That that's not going to probably work too well in that district. Now, there actually is one sort of semi-Trump connection to this. Uh, Hunter was. I believe the second member of the house to publicly support then candidate Donald Trump with the first being another recently indicted house Republican, Chris Collins. So the first two people to, ind- to endorse president Trump uh, or candidate Donald Trump uh, are now indicted. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the company you keep anyway. So Jay, uh, what are your thoughts about the whole Hunter indictment?
1: Um, you know, again, as, as we always say, uh, um, all suspects are presumed innocent until proven guilty in a go. court of law. Um, uh, but but it doesn't look. But doesn't look good. But it don't look good. <laughs> um, and, and I'd also say, I sort of look you, you, with this campaign finance. Look, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, on the one hand, if it's if you you pay off your mistress, it's a campaign expense. You know, if you, there you go. If you get some dental work, well, it's, they call it personal. I mean. Um, Oh, gosh! Uh, so, uh, no, I mean, this is is, again, this is just sort of um, and again, the the sometimes you look at the the banality of this sort of stuff, uh, too, that that if you're a Republican like me, you just, you know, makes you want to beat your head against the wall um, that that, you know, this is this is dumb kind of petty criminal sort of stuff um, uh, for for no good, uh, you know. Well, I don't you know, know you want it, to live large and you know and so there i, you I go. guess well and, and here's no actually this is something that, that strikes me again as a this is a small r republican um that there there is a sort of part of conservatism that is sort of traditionally uh eschews that sort of um uh living large you know what i mean it's it's sort of uh uh, as sort of much what the argument was against uh uh, uh trump, I mean the kind of a déclassé a sort of thing of um you know it's it's that's just not what's done yeah uh, The sort of again, I'm going back to him again small r sort of uh there's traditions of propriety and and what's appropriate and what's not um so that said um yeah, it looks like this guy is is has made uh, plenty of just really dumb mistakes uh dumb choices um and and should be charged for them uh the interesting thing to me though is the timing um you know there is we've talked about justice department policies uh, supposedly one that says you don't indict um you know sort of in the run up to an election um and and that seems to be that exception seemed to have made and and I think there's there's questions of of look they had all this stuff on him for some time uh, they could have indicted him a lot uh, you know, longer or earlier. Uh, by the same token, um, they could uh, wait till after the election and indict him, and the charges would be just as good. It's not as if he's a uh, sort of danger to the public uh, at, at this point if, if, he, if he remains at well, large. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think there, there's been some pushback, and I think rightfully so, on um, look, is, is the Justice Department, did, did they weigh in on this? Is the timing um, uh, prejudicial?
0: Well, okay. and but I see what you're saying, but I think also the Justice Department deserves a certain benefit of the doubt. I mean, I, I think we should assume that they indicted when they were ready to indict unless we have evidence otherwise. And And as far as I know, We don't have evidence otherwise, but I'll make two other kind of related points is when we talk about the run up to the election, I think traditionally the election season starts after Labor Day. And so we're not quite there yet.
1: I think and I don't have it in front of me, but again, it was sort of Justice Department manual instructions that say we don't want to indict. within, I, I think it's like three months or something like that of an election. Okay, okay. And, um,
0: but, yeah, I think another argument you and could make is- And again, that's, is, that is,
1: that's not a law. That's not right. that's, that's a, that's a guideline.
0: Well, I think another argument you could make is this is, this is something that voters should maybe want to know. You know, I, if I were a voter and I, I voted for somebody who I thought was a respectable, you know, steward of, of, of what, you know, was a trustworthy type person, and then after that person was reelected, I found out that there was this information out there that the Justice Department withheld that would have been important for me to know in making my decision. I'd be pretty upset.
1: But in this case, though, the the uh, the information was out there. Well, it it's was not people a people. It. it isn't a, it isn't something that it was just uncovered. It was uh, it, it was out there and, and publicly available and publicly discussed. It just hadn't He just hadn't been. Uh, indicted for it. But,
0: but yeah, then that, it's kind of my point is it's one thing to say there's information out there and then that's just allegations, but there's a big difference. I think in most people's n- minds between allegations and allegations that rise to the level of, well, actually this person was indicted. indicted, that gives them sort of a, a heft and a solidity that they wouldn't right. have otherwise.
1: And so. Which is exactly the reason why you need the justice department policy to say look, we're not going to tip the scale one way or another uh, uh, in something that would make the Justice Department look political. Um, because, look, his opponent could certainly have run on all these issues um, and uh, you know, won or, or lost. Uh, and again, you'd still have the, if the interest is. Um, I guess my, my point in, is is this. The Justice Department's interest ought to be in prosecuting crime not in uh, someone's electoral electoral futures.
0: Sure, absolutely. So, so are, are you saying that, I, I don't think you are, but let me ask you anyway, because people will probably wonder this. Are, are you saying that, that you think that the Justice Department is part of some sort of a larger scheme? I guess I hate that word because it is a, you know, but some sort of a larger effort, I guess I'll say. Yeah, that's why I don't want to say that. Uh, some sort of a larger effort to work against conservatives who support donald trump and donald trump in general no
1: okay, well just, although here although here, although you point out interestingly that the first two the first two people who supported him have been indicted now you can read that two different ways exactly yes yeah. donald trump supporters are all crooks uh, or if you're a supporter of donald trump watch out because we're going to find something on right
0: you. um and that's a kind of deep state argument there essentially yeah. that's what i was wondering and i i know I'm you're not, not a I'm big not, deep again, state I'm fan i'm not saying
1: it, again it certainly sounds by all accounts that uh that duncan hunter uh did it and and uh, did violate campaign finance laws and these are laws that are well uh, kind of a black letter <laughs> this is you know uh, a yeah. long trodden path here this isn't sort of a a new theory that hasn't really been prosecuted before this is this is you know old stuff um but that said, again, if the timing of you know to the justice department, then the politic the politics of it should be immaterial. The justice Department shouldn't say, "Wait, you know, we should indict because voters really ought to know this. That's what I think I find troubling because that's why they have a policy of of uh, not doing things that would would appear to intervene in the election and and for a couple for good reason, because what that does is it gives rise to those conspiracy theories it It paints the Justice department in that sort of light. Uh, or of at least it's it's difficult to to say. Well, come on, why'd you do that? Why didn't you indict him uh, last year uh, when he wasn't up for election? Or why don't you wait till after he's reelected and, and, and indict him then?
0: Yeah, um, and, that's
1: and, that's what I'm trying to get at.
0: And, and that's a reasonable point. It's it's something that actually hadn't hadn't occurred to me, and I'd be interested in hearing the Justice Department's re, you know reaction to that because I'm sure that that spokespeople for the Justice Department have been asked about that. And so I'm not going to assume anything either way, but I would like more information about
1: that. Typically, my my understanding is that it's you know, there's there's sort of a lot of independence for the your your uh, federal prosecutors, district attorneys. It, it's not a matter you know, of
0: at that. That's a great point. And, yeah, and it's I think, not
1: it's not like everything when we say the Justice Department, it's not as if. Uh, all of this comes across uh, uh, the desk of the attorney general. He signs right. off on it. There is, there is, and again, rightfully so. Um, a very much a tradition of independence uh, in federal prosecutors.
0: And so, I wonder if this is maybe more a case if, if it was in fact a, a violation of, of you know, policy. If this was more a case of some federal prosecutor looking to make a name for himself, which I think right. is maybe a, a more likely. Well, a more reasonable lens to look through at some of this stuff than it being part of some grand conspiracy, basically.
1: No, absolutely, and that—that's the lens I would—I would view it through. Okay.
0: All right. You know, there actually was some non-corruption news this week. Believe it or not, Jay, uh, there was some uh, really some pretty important policy news, though. I feel like. It was just almost entirely buried under all this other stuff, but I'm glad we actually have a chance to talk about it. Um, the EPA proposed what they're calling the Affordable Clean Energy Rule this week, and, and this would replace the, the never-enacted Obama-era Clean Power Plan. Now, right. the new rule would give states a, a lot of leeway in determining their own emissions level. And it would also allow currently operating coal plants to extend their lifespan much more easily than under the Obama Clean Power Plan, which had some pretty strict limits, which would basically force the closing of a lot of coal power plants. Now, the EPA estimates, it's their own estimates, that the plan could save the energy sector. Around 400 million dollars per year in compliance costs that would have been composed under the Clean Power Plan had it ever gone into effect, which it didn't. Now the EPA also estimates, estimates sorry that these savings come at a, a certain cost. They project that under the proposed plan, by 2030, there would be 48,000 new cases of ex- what they call exacerbated asthma, at least 21,000 new missed days of school each year as well as 1,400 premature deaths annually. And again, these are not some lefty environmental groups. These are the EPA's numbers. (laughs) Now, just just like the Obama Clean Power Plan, this new proposed regulation will be challenged by multiple states in court. And I can pretty much guarantee that it's not going to go into effect in 60 days. It may not go into effect for a number of years if if ever. It depends on you know what the court action is. But now for the Clean Power Plan, the argument was that the EPA exceeded its regulatory authority. Now here, the argument is going to be that the EPA isn't doing what it's legally mandated to do under the Clean Air Act. So there's, there's a pretty important difference in what the legal grounds for the challenge is going to be, though it's going to be a multi-state challenge. So Jay, what are your thoughts uh, about this new proposed rule? Because it's a, it's a big deal
1: i'm 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 generally as you might ex- expect uh, for it let's let's turn more authority back to the states um there's a strange sort of presumption that uh that the left tends to have that state governments are are all terrible bad won't won't do the right thing um you know they're not they're not real governments they're just sort of um uh, subsidiaries of the federal government uh look let's let's let states uh make these determinations as as you said there's only 20 what was it 23 some states or something that are, are th- threatening to sue well i may mean, assume they'll they'll uh pick these pick up these uh, restrictions and uh run with them um so i, I i'm not uh yeah i i i am I'm, I'm for it i i don't think the um, us government ought to be involved in uh, what would essentially running out of business uh some uh, you know certain energy providers, uh, and I think there's going to be a transition to cleaner energy, and it's it's happening naturally just because of 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 costs and uh, technologies and so forth. I mean, the the big thing now is that um, so much uh, th- there's a lot of sense to be made of of instead of uh, using coal fire coal fired plants, natural gas uh because of the the natural gas has become available through uh fracking technology which environmentalists my don't like that either um but it it uh burns cleaner uh you know less impurities and so forth uh there's still the the carbon issue because that's just the the chemistry of the thing uh, but uh, And there's also, there's also choices you could, you could make of, of which kind of coal you want to burn. and there's some that are, are faster burning, slower burning, uh, fewer impur- more impurities, fewer impurities. Uh, and so, I mean, I, again, I, I'm just, uh, to me, it's one of these, you know, we have a, a, all this wailing and gnashing of teeth over an Obama policy that never actually went into place. And now we're going to sue because it didn't actually go into place. Uh, and again, none of this was, was voted on. This is all regulatory. Um, and, and like yeah. I say all the time, the pen giveth and the pen taketh away.
0: Yeah. I, there, there's, there's one thing on this that you and I knew you and I would agree with, uh, agree on. And that is, this is the problem of policy by regulation. I mean, yeah. in, in a better world than ours, much of this would be done by Congress, and so then we wouldn't have these wild swings and reversals and inability to put any kind of policy into effect. And I, I knew I was fairly certain you and I would agree about that. Now, right. we disagree about everything else in regards to this policy. I wanted to, to you know, give a counterpoint to a couple of things you said. You know, I understand the federalism argument, but I would say from that point that you know certain things that can be kept entirely within state bounds. I think you can make a stronger case, but certainly, air quality does not respect state boundaries, and so therefore, what say Kentucky does in regards to coal uh, affects Ohio and and, uh, and and you know surrounding states and so sure. forth. And so that's the reason why for certain things, they need to have more of a, a national type of focus. And I think this is exactly one of these things. And so I, I am, you know, I obviously think this is not at all a good policy, but one, one issue, you know, when you take a look at the costs and the benefits, I think everyone agrees that whenever you enact a policy or propose a policy, it's important to consider the costs and the benefits, but the problem comes with how you do that. And it's really interesting to take a look at the differences, the huge differences in how the Obama and Trump administrations estimated the costs and the benefits. Now, as you would expect, this gets very technical very quickly. But the biggest difference here is that the Obama administration assumed much greater costs of pollution over time. And they also, in their calculations, uh, took into account the total world costs of U.S. population and of US population sorry pollution not just the cost to future US residents if that makes sense mm-hmm. and so i mean and so you're going to get vastly different numbers on that and and that's why just simply saying well you know just look at the costs and the benefits it's just not anywhere close to that simple and a final point i'd make is that you know the standards by which the EPA estimated the the health outcomes These standards that they used here may not actually be around for that much longer, and that's because of a currently proposed rule that the administration argues is in support of open and transparent science, but that it, in reality, would limit the number of really high-quality health studies the EPA could consult to determine potential health effects. And that's something we talked about, geez, I don't know, it must have been a couple months ago or something like that, but... Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that, that's kind of my, my pushback on that. I think that this is uh, not at all a good policy. I was actually in favor of, well, I'll say I was in favor of the clean power plan, but I also think there was something to the argument that it was executive overreach. And so in, in this case, I think that probably the, from a legal standpoint, the uh, the Trump plan probably has less legal obstacles in front of it, or fewer legal obstacles in front of it than
1: absolutely, yeah.
0: But as a matter of policy, I agree much more with the policy goals and and the, and the approach of the Obama plan. But that's something you and I talk about all the all time. Right. Is yeah, we, No, we, yeah,
1: again, that's, you're playing it straight. I, I hear you yeah. absolutely. Well, you know, I,
0: I try to play straight as much as I can. Right. So, all right. Well, I think that about does it for this week uh you know but before we go i should say that as soon as we're done recording this show which will be oh a minute or two we're going to be doing our special supporters exclusive after show and you know Even what better one thing you know we didn't get to was uh, an escalation one more escalation in uh, in china u.s china tariffs uh we might talk about that i don't know but certainly i'm hoping we can get into the whole donald trump versus jeff sessions thing to kind of blew up this week and maybe a couple of other things we'll see how we are on time but if you want to get that if you're a supporter if i'm doing my job right it should be waiting for you by the time you hear this and if you're not a supporter and you'd like to check it out just go to politicsguys.com support and you can become a supporter and have access to this or just go to politicsguys.com and click on support the show or the patreon or paypal link you'll see there also, if you could, it would be very helpful if you, could, if you could subscribe to the show as well as share episodes with your friends, uh, colleagues, whoever, really. And leaving, re- leaving reviews and ratings on iTunes also does help a lot. If you want to get in touch with us, that, you can do that at mail at politicsguys.com. There's also our Facebook page where we have all kinds of interesting conversations throughout the week. That's facebook.com slash politicsguys Politics page, and we're also on Twitter at politicsguys. The executive producer of the Politics Guys are Michael Baranowski, Jay Carson, Trey Orndorff, and Bruce Johnson. Today's show was produced by Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you join us.